listening to Blocked and Reported. I'm Katie Herzog, and joining me today while my sidekick Jesse Single is off-handing a CIA agent, a shoebox full of cash, is Brad Palumbo. Brad is the host of the podcast Damage Control, and he's also a YouTuber and an independent journalist. He's published at Newsweek, The New York Post, National Review, The Daily Mail, The Daily Beast, and more. And he's the first genuine real-life conservative we've had on the show, so he is our official first diversity hire in the Blocked and Reported universe. Brad, welcome to Blocked and Reported. WTF, I love DEI now. What? Like, this is amazing. <laughs> so I, I'm so happy to be here. Like, I've listened to the show for some time now. My boyfriend in particular is, is actually a huge fan, and, and it's funny little story for you. Um, I've done some kind of cool stuff, and I'm not trying to like flex or anything in my career. I was on the Dr. Phil show. I've been on Ooh. some of the more popular um, cable news shows. And my boyfriend's always excited for me. He's kind of apolitical, but he's like, yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. When I told him I was going to be guest hosting Blocked and Reported, he fangirled and geeked out <laughs> about a hundred times nice. more than for any of that. I mean, I think this show is more famous than Dr. Phil. Yeah. Oh, well, obviously. What were you on the Dr. Phil show talking about? So I was, uh, I'm a Gen Z millennial cusper, but I'm on the Gen Z side and I make a lot of commentary on TikTok trends and that kind of thing. So I was on there for a Gen Z versus boomers episode <laughs> Wow. that actually uh, went a little bit viral. So it was a really interesting experience. Uh, but yeah, I was actually uh, in an episode in his final season on air. He's not on air anymore? God, I guess I'm no. a boomer because I didn't realize. That. Actually, no, boomers would know that. Can he is canceled, not like that, just like <laughs> he's like 85 years old Retired. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so I am sorry to disappoint, but I'm not really sure if I count as a conservative anymore. What? Yeah. God damn it, Brad. Okay. All right. <laughs> Episode's over. I got to get Ben Shapiro in here. Yeah. I used to identify with that label earlier in my career, but I, I haven't really in some time. Kind of the MAGA era and an evolution or I guess mm -hmm. de devolution or however you pronounce yeah. that in, in what it means to be a conservative has has really kind of made me move away from describing myself that way. I describe myself as center-right, kind of libertarian-ish in the classical liberal mold, ideologically, maybe more than anything. It's funny, you know, I think you could probably relate to this and, and Jesse a little bit, but I'm often criticized or viewed by like fringe left-wing types as far-right, transphobic or fascist or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then simultaneously, I get attacked by the actual far-right, the alt-right, the tradcons, a lot as a squish, lib, rhino, or even, this is hilarious to me, sometimes they call me woke and a pro-trans pro activist. I don't think I've ever gotten that one. <laughs> Which, I, I don't know, I kind of view that as something of, of a sweet spot when you have both extremes uh, hating you like that. Oh, absolutely. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this show, because you're the kind of conservative or non-conservative, apparently, who you, you don't just pick on the left, although you certainly do some of that. And honestly, how could you not? It's so easy. Uh, but you were, you're also very willing to criticize your own side or the people who would sort of historically you would have been aligned with. Like I listened to a debate that you did with Michael Knowles. He seems to me to be the type of conservative who pretends to care about small government while also wanting to install nanny cams in people's bedrooms to make sure they're not cross-dressing in their <laughs> spare time. It was a great debate. I really thought you wiped the floor with his ass. And I always appreciate someone who refuses to toe the party line. And you certainly fall into that category. Yeah, I appreciate it. I've always just, my, you know, it's funny. I've been, 
uh, an attention whore since like the third grade, and I've just always been a little. <laughs> okay, bit... so that so you have a boyfriend and you're an attention whore. You are gay. Yeah, yeah, basically. So like, I was the first person to play Willy Wonka and not have it divided into multiple roles. I said, no, I want all the spotlight. I'm not sharing the <laughs> stage, and so I've always been happy to enter the fray and spar with people and uh it it gets me into a little bit of trouble sometimes but i wouldn't have it any other way well you are good at it okay we've got a lot to talk about today the second half of the show is going to be about queer influencer jeffrey marsh i have no idea what he's done now so this will be a surprise to me but before we get there brad i hear our mutual friend libs of tiktok has been accused of stochastic terrorism with a side of murder before we get into it how do you feel about libs of tiktok in general yeah so i've always had mixed feelings i was like entertained by the account at first right i followed it from early on totally and on one hand i really have no problem with them like reposting publicly available videos of people saying crazy things like sometimes i find it entertaining or interesting i react to the videos occasionally on my YouTube channel. Um, but they also, she's the, the creator of Libs of TikTok, Chaya Raichik, has taken some pretty nasty positions mm-hmm. I totally disagree with, like saying any openly gay teacher should be fired. I've also noticed that she somewhat frequently mischaracterizes the things that she posts. And I know uh, from this show that she's fallen for hoaxes in the <laughs> past. So, yes, yeah. I will say, I also find, though, a lot of, and we're going to get into this, a lot of the mainstream media criticism of Libs of TikTok to be kind of alarmist and really over the top. Yeah. So this has been going on for a while. Like NBC published a a piece claiming that Libs of TikTok is to blame for a series of bomb threats made against schools and other institutions. And to me, it is plausible to draw a direct line from, you know, libs of TikTok reposting a video to our million plus followers and saying, you know, this teacher, this specific teacher at this school is grooming children. And then if the school gets the, a bomb threat an hour later, I mean, you can't say for sure it's a cause and effect situation without direct evidence that someone saw her specific tweets and then thought, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to call in a bomb threat to an elementary school. That sounds like a good idea. But to me, it's like it's certainly not a stretch of the imagination to think that this has probably happened. I don't think the reporting is super solid on this, but it's not a stretch of the imagination considering her reach. She's almost 3 million followers on Twitter right now. But the thing we're going to focus on today, uh, this is something I do think she's been unfairly blamed for, at least based on the information that we currently have. And I'm talking about the death of a 16-year-old reportedly non-binary student named Nex Benedict. Nex died after a fight in the bathroom at Owasso High School in Oklahoma on February 8th. Brad, could you sum up the coverage of this incident? Yeah, so this was a heartbreaker. I I, I mean, I've, I've feel really sad that we even have to talk about it. But yeah, uh, we didn't make it a story, right? I think lots of liberal leaning media, you know, we have the Daily Coast, we have the Independent, I saw the Oklahoman, which is the, you know, local USA Today affiliate, the cut, them.us, my favorite LGBT media publication. (laughs) They all basically ran with a narrative that went something like this. This non-binary teenager was just murdered in an anti-non-binary hate crime. At least that's the strong implication or outright Mm -hmm. statement in some of the articles. And it is directly connected to Libs of TikTok creator uh, 
Chayarichik, and Republicans more generally who are fomenting anti-trans hatred. That's basically the narrative that I, I perceive them to be running with. Exactly. And this is spread all over social media. This is in the mainstream media, the New York Times, Washington Post. Everyone is covering this story. Nancy Pelosi tweeted about this. And if so if you follow the media coverage or the online chatter, that's the conclusion basically everyone seems to have come to. This was a hate crime and next Benedict was murdered because she was non-binary. So what's the connection they're actually claiming to Libs of TikTok exactly? Yeah, it's a good question. So activists and media are specifically tying this to Libs of TikTok because two years ago she reposted a video that was posted on TikTok by a middle school teacher in that same district named Tyler Wren. Uh Tyler Wren was reportedly close to Next. I haven't seen this verified anywhere, but that's what Taylor Lorenz is claiming, that Tyler was something of a mentor to Next. Let's watch that video now. I don't love and accept you for who you are this Christmas. Fuck them. I'm your parents now. Okay, so I have to say, we might not love the libs of TikTok approach, but a teacher posting publicly a video saying, fuck your parents... Not great. Teachers need to get off of TikTok. (laughs) This is bad for their careers. Get off of TikTok. Stop posting to TikTok. Anyway, this became a big story. Tyler was fired. And the logic apparently is, you know, two years later, a student who reportedly identified as non-binary gets killed in the bathroom and A led to B or something. I mean, what do you think of that connection? So my first thought, again, is just, you know, how sad a story this is and how much my heart goes out to the family of this young person. I mean, what a, what a tragedy. It's horrible. But I really do see the attempt to link this to libs of TikTok as kind of an enormous stretch. I mean, why? Because she, vo- she posted a video like two years ago highlighting a teacher's kind of controversial, you know, activism and commentary. To me, that seems like mental gymnastics worthy of a gold medal. Uh, and I'm always really skeptical of any narrative that kind of takes the blame off the actual individuals involved who have agency and who made their own decisions. Like at the end of the day, I really do believe pretty firmly that we're all responsible for our own actions, no matter what someone out there had to say about something. So if Nex was killed for being non-binary, the primary responsibility in my book lies on the shoulders of the person who killed Nex, not libs of TikTok, even though they posted this video a few years ago and they've apparently accepted some role in Oklahoma on like the library board and yeah. there's a couple, a couple <laughs> other connections. Like we did it, we talked about that on a previous show. That is bizarre. It's strange. It's totally indefensible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a a California-based a former real estate agent and influencer. I don't think she's even a parent, or at least she has. Has she ever? I would love to know if she's ever been to Oklahoma. Or read a book. <laughs> but more seriously, do we even know if this was a hate crime? Well, no. In short, no. And a few of the facts of this case really seem to have gotten lost in the noise surrounding this. So the big thing is, we don't know that Nex was targeted because she reportedly, I'm sorry, they reportedly identified as non-binary. Here's what we do know according to a statement that was put out by the school. And this statement, they say in it, it was specifically aimed to correct misinformation about the case. So everything I tell you, we know from this statement as well as reporting by local news outlets who I think are doing better reporting than some national outlets at this point. Okay, so here's what we know. On the afternoon of Wednesday, February 7th, there was a fight in the bathroom at the school. The fight lasted for less than two minutes before it was broken up by students and at least one staff member. The students involved were taken to the nurse's office for evaluations. The parents were called and an investigation was initiated. 
The nurse recommended that one student, so that's Nex, go to a hospital for further evaluation. Nex is taken to the hospital by her grandmother, who is her legal guardian. And one thing about the, the, to note on the pronouns here, apparently Nex, like, sometimes went by they, them, and sometimes didn't. So, like, the family refers to Nex as she, her in some statements. This doesn't seem to be malicious. This seems to be because Nex sometimes went by they, them, and sometimes went by she, her. Regardless, Nex has bumps and bruises, but is examined in the, at the hospital and released with instructions to return home the next day if there are signs of a concussion, which, of course, may be very dangerous. The next day, Nex collapses and dies. Everyone is assuming that this is the result of head trauma, but on Wednesday, February 21st, the Owasso police put out a statement saying that the death did not result from trauma and the cause of death is still pending as of right now. Uh, Brad, do you think the police's statement is going to change anybody's mind about why Nex was killed? Hmm. Let me think about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. So we have big trans activists like Aaron Reed and Alexander uh Carabayo saying that there needs to be an investigation into the police. My prediction is that if this comes out, like they're going to do a toxic, they haven't released a toxicology report. When they do, if it turns out that this was a drug overdose or something, I think the narrative will just shift to, okay, next killed themselves because of anti-trans bullying. They will somehow figure out how to tie food poisoning to lips of TikTok. Yeah, the agenda and the blame game. Yeah, it, it it's flexible to the facts. It will evolve to adapt to whatever the facts are, or the, if the facts are truly inconsistent with it, they'll just memory hole the, the whole story and move to the next one. Okay, so that's the course of events. And we know a bit more about what led to the fight because a family member provided a local Oklahoma news uh, news outlet with text messages from Nex. Normally, we would do a dramatic reading, but um, I think it would be disrespectful to do a dramatic reading of a dead child's text messages. So I'm just going to sum this up for you. Next says, next tells his family member, I got jumped at school, three on one, I had to go to the ER. Family member asks if they're okay. They say, all good, just scrapes and bruises. Quote, got a shot in the butt from my pain, but I'm still, if I'm still dizzy and nauseous in the morning, I might have a concussion. The family member asks why the fight started, why they were jumped. Uh, and next says, they had been bullying me and my friends and I got tired of it. So I poured some water on them and all three came after me. Okay, so we don't know why Nex was bullied. Would it surprise me if Nex was bullied specifically for being non-binary or just different? Of course not. Kids are cruel. That's like the thing about kids is that they're little bitches. There are some outlets are reporting that she was with a trans friend in the bathroom. I haven't seen this confirmed anywhere. This is what people are saying, but I don't know if it's actually true. But anyone claiming that this is a hate crime or that it had anything to do with libs of TikTok or Oklahoma's policies about trans kids in bathrooms, I've also seen that, that reported, is just speaking out of their ass, especially in light of the fact that Nex said in this text message that she poured water on the bullies. So that's the first thing. We just don't know if it was a hate crime. And maybe it was, but we just really don't know that. It's just absolutely premature to make that conclusion. And But people are, like I saw Dylan Mulvaney and a bunch of other people posting this meme comparing this to Matthew Shepard's murder, which is sort of ironic because that was also probably not a hate crime. But in the original post, this, this meme has nearly half a million likes. My entire Instagram feed seems to have been taken over by people who were absolutely sure that this was a hate crime. And this is Chaya Reichick's fault or Oklahoma politicians' fault. I mean, the hot Mormons I follow aren't talking about it, but basically everyone else is. 
See, we're on different Instagrams because the only Mormons <laughs> I get on Instagram are the hot ex ex Mormon gays yeah. who are posting shirtless thirst traps. You need to look up Charlie Bird. Yeah. So, eh, more seriously, I find all of this incredibly objectionable and distasteful. Like, partially for the reason you mentioned that people are just totally jumping the gun in a really irresponsible way, and they're not going to correct themselves or walk it back. At least, not most of them. When these facts have now come out, that really call into question whether this the actual hate incident or bullying is even connected to the death. The death could be some completely other cause uh, that we'll find out about later. The vaccine. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Died suddenly. No, (laughs) obviously not. But um, I find I, I can't help but see some some sinister motivations here. And I want to know what you think of this, Katie, but at least I'm part of some of the people, the Taylor Lorenzes of the world that are presenting this narrative that blames libs of TikTok. They have a real hate boner for this specific <laughs> woman. Taylor, this the activist. Taylor and Chaya feud is one for the ages, man. <laughs> they need to make like, you remember those edits that they made in 2016 of like Trump and Hillary with like romantic music, like <laughs> flirting yes. in there, like arguing with each other. Somebody needs to make a video like that with Chaya and Taylor because uh-huh. I think one Chaya does give a little bit of repressed lesbian vibes I'm just saying I'm no allegations I don't have any inside scoop I'm just saying and then Taylor is obsessed with loves of TikTok and vice versa so who knows it could could be yeah they de- they depend on each other they like feed off of each other every time Taylor reaches out to Chaya for comment. Chaya scre- says something obnoxious, screenshots it, and posts it online because she loves it. She loves the attention. I think they both mutually hate and love each other. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I will say this. We know that many lefty journalist types like Taylor Lorenz are very censorship happy when it comes to wanting big tech companies to remove more hate speech, misinformation, and the like. And I really can't help but wonder if this ties into that, right? If they simply argued that Libs of TikTok is wrong or mean or bad, well, most Americans aren't really going to accept that as a reason to deplatform someone because we still do at least to some extent, and I'm fighting to preserve it, I know you are too, that cultural ethos of of free speech, at least for now in this country. But if they can successfully conflate libs of TikTok speech with violence or physically endangering others, especially marginalized and vulnerable people, that's kind of a different ballgame. And I think that's what some of these media critics may be trying to do here with an ultimate agenda of hoping to get libs of TikTok deplatformed by piling pressure on Elon, on X, on advertisers to silence her. And I find that really objectionable and kind of sinister. It's kind of a, a cop out rather than engaging in actual argument to simply try to silence the popular people whose ideas you don't agree with. What do you think of that theory? I mean, I would not doubt it. I don't have any, like, I have not talked to Taylor Lorenz about her ultimate aim. And in fact, she might- Yeah, it's just a theory. Right. She might- She might suffer a little bit if Libs of TikTok was- uh, was deplatform because <laughs> because she they feed off of each other. Taylor writes about her content. The same thing, lots of misinformation reporters might the same way like they hate Trump, they also benefit from Trump's bullshit because this drives views, it, it drives engagement, etc. But I do think you're right that a lot of these people are sort of natural censors and uh and also I think that they 
truly believe that Chaya Raichik is dangerous. And frankly, I don't totally blame them. Like, like I don't think Chaya Raichik is responsible for what her followers do, but I do think that she traffics in this sort of outrage porn that really does lead to some bad outcomes. What do you think about how she wields her platform. Like, do you think she has an obligation to be more responsible with what she posts? Do you think that she should ask people to not, for instance, make bomb threats at elementary schools? Yeah, I certainly would. If I was in her position, I would be much more quick to distance myself from these actions. She has said she doesn't support any violence, but she has this trollish defensiveness where she's like, how dare they accuse me of, of fomenting bomb threats? I would respond and say, PSA, anyone who follows me, never do this in all caps in bold. That's not what I'm here for. And if you were a little more explicit like that, then I would actually say after that, you have no responsibility for what people do, right? Because I have I have mixed feelings on libs of TikTok overall. And on one hand, you know, I think you and I have slightly different views on this. I really have no issue with her main shtick of simply taking publicly available posts and reposting them to her audience because these people posted these videos on TikTok and I'm on TikTok. I post on TikTok. We all want the world to see them. In many cases, we're hoping to go viral. And we were all taught as kids that anything you post online is forever. Now, that said, you know, we've talked about this already, um, that she's taken some terrible positions, said things I find ignorant and hateful, fallen for hoaxes. But unless she's specifically called for violence, I don't think she's ultimately responsible in the way that her critics are suggesting for bomb threats or hate crimes that random people out there in the world commit. Because whenever you have millions of followers, there are going to be some crazies. I mean, I do think she should absolutely be more considerate and cognizant with what she posts, given her massive reach. And I think she should definitely be less cavalier about the bomb threats and other things, even though she has condemned them. Uh, But I fundamentally don't put the majority of the blame on her feet for crazy people's actions any more than I blame Bernie Sanders for the congressional baseball shooting a few years ago, where multiple GOP lawmakers faced assassination attempts, which to be clear, is that I don't blame him at all. Even though he's railed against Republicans, said they're denying people's health care, going to get them killed and going to cause people's deaths and all this stuff, no matter how charged some of that rhetoric has been, he has never called for violence. And I ultimately don't think he's responsible for one individual who has deranged actions and decisions in response to his charged rhetoric. Anytime you have millions of people listening to you, there's going to be people like out like that out there. And I don't want to let them off the hook and take the blame for their actions off their shoulders, which is what I feel this narrative does, unfortunately, a little bit with libs of TikTok. Like if libs of TikTok is to blame for the death or of, a, of a, somebody murdered in a hate crime, then you're saying that the murderer isn't 100% to blame. But I absolutely do think we should all strive to take the temperature down and be more responsible with the way we handle our platforms, given how polarized and increasingly unhinged our country's politics seem to be getting. Yeah, I mean, And like some of what she posts, I do agree with, like she managed to shame the MS society into apologizing for firing a 90 year old volunteer who didn't understand neo pronouns. Like I'm, I'm fine with that. She is just posting stuff. For the most part, she's just posting stuff that other people post online and and people, yeah, want to go viral. That's kind of the point. But a lot of the people she targets 
are just random blue hairs who have different values than her and who are being cringe online. And then she holds them up for ridicule and they're inundated with harassment and threats and people trying to get them fired from their jobs, including her. She directly calls for people to be fired for like having pride flags in classrooms and shit like that. And she could make the same points about libs, which is her fundamental goal is to show people how crazy and wild libs are. She could make those same points without publishing people's personal information or posting their faces or trying to get them fired, but she doesn't do anything to try to mitigate the damage. And then she complains to high heaven when people in turn harass her. So I don't respect Chaya or the form of outrage porn that she traffics in. I mean, and not just because she's a bigot. I think she is a bigot. I'm fine with bigots. I work with Jesse. <laughs> I don't respect her because she's a bully. She's a right-wing cancel cop. Uh, but let's get back to next Benedict for a second. And the reason the reporting on this next Benedict situation bothers me so much isn't just because it's totally irresponsible to assume a motive before you know anything about the incident or the perpetrators. Like, this could have been a rival gang of non-binary high school kids. We don't for, – like, for all we know, we just really – nobody fucking knows what actually happened. But this also, it really reminds me of the myth of the transgenocide that you see online all the time. Like activists and media have the bad habit of claiming that anytime a trans person is the victim of homicide or any kind of violence, it's a hate crime. And when you actually dig into the individual cases, nine times out of 10, the person was killed for the same reasons that most people are killed. So that's domestic violence, drugs, sex work, robbery, random bad luck. Like a few years ago, a non-binary woman was uh, hit by a car while blocking a freeway in Seattle as part of a BLM protest, and she was included in the Human Rights Campaign's annual report on fatal violence, as though her gender identity had any bearing on her death at all. I promise you, the guy who hit her did not know that she was that she used they them pronouns before he ran into her. And the problem with this is that it misleads, besides the fact that it's dishonest, it misleads actual trans people into thinking that the world is far more dangerous than it actually is. And that's, it's not good allyship or good reporting to scare people unnecessarily. And in fact, with the exception of very specific populations like black trans sex workers, trans people overall have lower rates of fatal victimization than cis women and way lower rates than cis men who are in fact the the population black men are the population most likely to be, to get murdered not you know non-binary people from seattle or oklahoma or whatever i mean of course they're victimized in other ways like i wouldn't want to be a non-passing trans woman walking down the streets in oklahoma myself but most trans people who die under violent circumstances are not the victims of hate crimes and it's absolutely premature to make any judgments about the motive behind Next Benedict's very tragic death until we actually know more, including what actually killed her. Yeah, no, I completely agree with the broader point, especially. I've actually looked into this subject a bit specifically, including HRC's most report, uh, recent report about the – that's the human rights campaign – about the – epidemic, they call it, of fatal violence against trans and non-binary people. And I published an analysis in Quillette that I worked with an economist on where we analyzed their numbers. We've, we took them at face value, even though, like you say, they really shouldn't be taken at face value. And in fact, in one case, we even doubled them. And yet still, they had a lower rate of murder, of murder victimization than the general murder rate. And the other claim you hear is that trans people of color are at a special risk of fatal violence. You'll see that in that report and everywhere else. 
But what you have to do to get an accurate comparison is compare that to the general murder rate for black people and then look at the murder rate for black trans people. And it's lower than for for your average black person. Now, of course, like every murder is is horrible. Uh, and any time a trans person or non-binary person is murdered, whether it's because they're non-binary or because of domestic violence or anything, it's a heartbreaking situation that we should all want to eliminate to whatever extent is possible. But it's not helpful to scare people and engage in this kind of threat inflation. And, you know, I do see it on the right, too, with like the alarmist media coverage about the threat of terrorism that we saw throughout the aughts or how, you know, gay marriage would lead to legalized pedophilia and all this other slippery slope stuff that never came true. But I find this to be a more pressing problem, in my view, at least in left of center media. Like I still remember when Nancy Pelosi suggested with a straight face that Donald Trump's 2017 tax cuts were a quote matter of life and death there was an entire chorus of people who uncritically unironically argued that his tax cuts would kill people and look there were plenty reasonable arguments to be made for or against the tax cut i was a supporter right but maybe you aren't maybe there we want to talk about the deficit we want to talk about who's benefiting from them are they worth the trade-offs all of that right But no one was being sent to the gulags, right? (laughs) And I view the trans discourse as probably just the most extreme issue or like the most obvious example of where this alarmism and doomsdayism is running rampant. But I really think it's a pretty broad problem in our culture. Yeah. I mean, you also saw this not just with the fake transgenocide, but also in terms of a lot of the rhetoric during the summer of 2020 and before and after about police shootings of unarmed black people. We've talked about this on the show plenty of times, but if you if you dig into the statistics, it is incredibly rare for an unarmed black person to be killed by police. There are about a dozen a year on a, on a typical year. But when activists in the media perpetuate this myth that black people are at extreme levels of danger every time they have an encounter with the police, my fear is that they are actually increasing the likelihood that any given black person is going to run from the police. And that's when you're really in danger. Have you ever seen those videos? uh, And of course, you know, man on the street videos are not like are not, you know, hard data. But have you ever seen the Man of Street videos where they ask somebody, whether it's a black person or a white person, how many unarmed black men do you think are killed by police in a year? And they usually say like a thousand, a thousand, five (laughs) thousand. There's polling on this. Yeah. Typically, it's people say it's about a thousand. And in fact, about a thousand people are killed by police every year. But that's in the entire country. This is a country of 330 million people. And the vast majority of them are armed. Not that that, and here's my Second Amendment advocate coming out, not that that necessarily means they deserve to be killed. Right. Guns are legal in this country, but the vast majority of them happen in cases where there is some sort of threat. A lot of them are suicide by cop, for one thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's obviously a lot more complicated, but it's another great example of just the huge gap between public understanding and the actual facts that I think is heavily influenced or even created by misleading media coverage and political rhetoric. I completely agree with this. I think the media has been egregiously irresponsible when reporting on things like, you know, the deaths of unarmed black people, as well as the deaths of of trans people. Like you can, you can actually quantify this. The data isn't perfect, but there is data out there, but you can quantify this. You could, you can contextualize that you can say, you know, this the victim of this particular crime is one of X number of victims every year. Here's the statistics on this. Here's how it compares to the general population. Just 
better reporting, I think, would clear up a lot of misinformation. Yeah, for sure. All right, Brad, let's take a break, do some housekeeping, and then we'll be back with your segment. So, Katie, I think you should let me do the housekeeping because I think I can probably do it from memory better than you. Okay, do it. All right. This is a podcast, the thing you guys say for some random reason, even though I don't know how anybody could get to this (laughs) point in the episode and not know that this is a podcast. Uh, You can go... People always want to know. I need a reminder. I need to place myself and tell myself, this is where you are. All right, this is what we're doing now. We are a podcast. You can go to blockedandreported.org. That is the correct URL uh, and sign up is for it? the podcast. It is. Right. Yeah. Uh, there is. <laughs> You're good at this. <laughs> you can also email Jesse and Katie at blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com or check out the Reddit, which is r slash blockedandreported, which is a real hoot, but it's not technically administrated by Katie or Jesse. So they are not to blame for any furry porn that gets posted there. <laughs> All right. You did a good job. I'm going to emphasize more why people should uh, join us. If you go to blocktoreported.org, you can become a primo. That is a paying subscriber and you join our community with over 14, I think it's over 14,000 people. You get access to our comment sections, which are really great. We have fantastic conversations happening over there and you get three extra episodes of this podcast every month, actually for this month, because we're going to bring back the personals for a special one. And I think this month there actually might be a fifth primo because we're going to put out Jesse's uh, an interview that he did with the author Robert Henderson live in New York. Um, I also want to let people know about an upcoming event that I'm super excited about. I will be the top secret don't tell anyone guest at Megan Dom's Unspeakeasy Retreat in Seattle on the weekend of May 18th and 19th. You probably know Megan from her podcast, The Unspeakable, and her other podcast, A Special Place in Hell, which she hosts with Sarah Hayter. Uh, She's got various problematics, books, and writings. And her most recent venture is The Unspeakeasy, which is a community for heterodox-minded women. It offers a private membership community online and in-person sanity spas. These are retreats all over the country. The retreats are really small. There's usually no more than 12 people. Totally off the record. I went to one in Leavenworth, Washington last year. I brought Moose. I brought Jana. We all had a great time. I found that some of these heterodox events that advertise themselves as being like free speechy or open debatey are really just people who agree on everything and don't want to tell their friends their views. But the unspeakeasy really did have some very interesting actual debates. And it was just a really great group of women. And I think it's a very cool way to both meet new people and share your interests and have really interesting discussions that you might be missing from your day-to-day life. Plus, there's no yoga or meditation. And I think this might be the only women's retreat in America that doesn't have one or both. Uh, For application information, go to theunspeakeasy.com. The application is not a test. You just need to say why you're interested and prove you're not a spy. Uh, It's going to be really fun. Uh, I hope people check it out. Brad, you're not invited. What about AGPs? That is a good question. I asked Megan that, and I can't remember her answer. Uh, but I do know at her retreat and I and somewhere in I think the Southwest, Corinna Cohn is one of the guest speakers. I don't know if Corinna, I don't think she's an AGP. I think she was like a childhood, a young transitioner, but she's biologically male and she's going to be speaking. But she's like a very heterodox trans woman. We just want to know if Jesse's allowed to attend. <laughs> He's too hairy. He's not just an AGP. Like he just doesn't pass. All right, Brad. So you're going to tell me about 
Jeffrey Marsh. Yeah. So, Katie, I've actually got a story today for you that's about your community. Uh, Jeffrey Marsh is not in my community. Are you talking about adult baby diaper lovers? No, I'm talking about the Muslim community, obviously. Oh, uh, me and Andrew Tate's community. And now for each Chambers. So the story is actually about what happens when figures from marginalized identities clash, which in this case is a female Muslim comedian versus a white male non-binary TikTok activist, Jeffrey March, who you've mentioned. So just to start, Katie, who do you think ranks higher on the oppression scale? It's kind of a close for close one for me. You've got the the whiteness against being a person of color, the, but then you have the cisness versus the non-binary. I, I it's a tough call for me, but who ranks higher for you on the oppression Olympics? Oh, for sure the female Muslim Canadian. I mean, Canadian. <laughs> that would make me Canadian. <laughs> the female female is going to win not against non-binary every time, but when you add in the melanin force field, <laughs> for sure. She's on top. She's the gold. She's the gold medal. Anyway, our story today features these two main characters, Jeffrey Marsh, the non-binary TikToker, and Shumarin Nessa, the female Muslim comedian. So, let's start by talking about Jeffrey Marsh. Had you how much had you heard about him before this story? I cannot avoid this guy. He is everywhere on Instagram. <laughs> I'm not even on TikTok. I guess TikTok is his primary whatever venue, but I'm not on TikTok. I still cannot avoid him because he's all over Instagram. He gets reposted to Twitter all the time. And his thing is like it's almost like ASMR. <laughs> But it's like he's trying to like lure children into his cave. Is that is that is that fair? Slightly unfair, but like not that far off. So <laughs> I, he's we're going to get into this. He has not, in fact, lured any children into a cave. But like, we'll just intro- how about this? We'll just introduce listeners to Jeffrey's content straight from the source. But in my opinion, just to prefix this, uh, it is a mix of harmless cringe, is what I would call it, and then. Kind of creepy second person life advice, I guess you'd have to call it. So let's roll a couple clips from Jeffrey's TikTok. Super Bay Fashion Slay. Okay, so Jeffrey is doing some sort of like catwalk turn, wearing the clothes that you would see like I don't know, like a a mom at like a like an Easter parade, Easter party, like very middle class, like a turtleneck with a short sleeve turtleneck and a sort of modest dress. All right, let's play the second one. You know I went no contact with my family. I'm shocked. My genetic family. <laughs> um, that was a couple years ago now, a few years ago now. But I think of you as my new family. I just thank you for being so kind, so accepting. You know, especially this year... <laughs> Amongst the LGBTQs, I value having you as a family in my life. And this time of year, you belong. (laughs) That's my ride. Um, That's a joke. I care about you. Thank you, family. Okay, this is one step up from the teacher screen, or maybe one step down from the teacher screen. Fuck your parents, I'm your family now. <laughs> the thing about about Jeffrey Marsh, and, and a lot of people do this, is that they do this thing like, you are loved, you are special. And I just want to be like, you don't know me, bitch. You don't know me. Maybe I'm a piece of shit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it feels very like disingenuous to me, although I'm sure he believes it. 
But there is something like he does these very close up shots. He always wear he's always wearing lipstick. So close, close up, like the 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 most close up I've ever seen a TikTok yeah. filmed. It's like his face is the entire you screen. Can see his pores basically, and he his like visually. He he does not pass it. I mean, he he's non-binary, so he's like trying to do the whatever gender thing, gender fuckery, where he, he wears like very red lipstick, eye makeup. He tweezes his eyebrows, but he also has a, a beard or like a five o'clock shadow or whatever, and wears women's clothing or feminine clothing. And so the whole effect to me comes across as very creepy. Yeah, but also, but I will say, like, he also seems like a nice guy, but also creepy. Yeah, mixed feelings on all that. <laughs> um, definitely a little creepy. Like I would back away slowly if he spoke to me like that in person. Yeah. <laughs> the second yeah. person thing is very strange to me. And by the way, guys, we've already mentioned this, but Jeffrey Marsh identifies as non-binary and uses they them pronouns. Oh yeah. While I, I typically respect the pronouns of actual transgender people who experience gender dysphoria, I personally don't believe that non-binary is a legitimate concept and I don't want to validate it. So I will be referring to Jeffrey as he throughout this podcast. So sorry. Well, not really. Yeah. Okay. So Helen Lewis on the last episode, Helen and I were talking about pronouns and I talked about how like why I respect pronouns. I think you probably do them for many of the same reasons as I do. Um, this one is a struggle because I like you, I reject the concept. I mean, I'm like sure there's some non-binary people who are listening to this right now who who might be upset by this, but I don't think it's any secret that I find the concept of non-binary to be very regressive because it relies purely on gender stereotypes. And I have talked to many non-binary people in my life and I have asked them the question, what does it mean to be non-binary? And the answer always reverts to gender-based stereotypes. It means I don't feel like a man or I don't feel like a woman. All right, what does that mean? It means I don't feel masculine or I don't feel feminine. Sometimes I want to wear men's clothes. Sometimes I want to wear women's clothes. And to me, that doesn't make you not a man or not a woman. And in fact, if we want to expand, if we want to be like really progressive and expand what is acceptable for men and women to do, which I genuinely do, I am not the type of person who thinks that a man in a dress should be fired from his job, unlike Chai Raichik. Uh, if we want to expand the, the, what is possible for men and women, I find the concept of non-binary hinders that um, because it says, if I, if I don't adhere to these rigid gender stereotypes, I am literally not male or female. Or a man or a woman. No, I I completely agree with you. I to be clear though, I have absolutely no problem with androgyny. It's totally fine. right. I have no problem with someone who's a female. You know, having short hair, wearing cargo shorts, and like Thank you. I mean, I would never wear cargo shorts, but I do wear pants. Oh my god, I just had a a, a, a horror of like a Facetune blend of you and Jesse, and it's just oh, people have done it. It's <laughs> the cargo it's shorts really with the short hair. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, no, like I don't care about any of that, but I don't think it makes you a third gender. I don't think it makes you not a woman or not a man, not a female, not a male. It just means you're a different type of person who happens to be biologically male or female. And there's not a yeah. long history and medical basis for it in the way that there is for legitimate cases of gender dysphoria. Oh, people, people will fucking claim that there is because some tribe in Samoa has a third gender, which, but, but like nobody thinks that the whatever Fafa Fine are actually not men or women. Anyway, whole different story we've talked about on the show before. You and I agree here, non-binary, it's cringe. Do you think it's going to get a lot of fashion soon? I think we're on the way out. I think it already has. 
Yeah, no, I think it's, I've even noticed that trolling and joking about non-binary is now acceptable in like mainstream online podcasts and stuff that aren't at all right coded. And that to me is a sign that it's going in the wrong direction. Public support on that one. Yeah. It, like the pronouns and bio thing, you don't, you don't see that as much anymore. It's like, it's, it's all becoming very passe. This, as soon as parents started doing this shit, it became passe. Yeah, we just needed pronouns to migrate to Facebook. Yeah. And, then- <laughs> <laughs> and LinkedIn. Anyway, here's some backstory on Jeffrey, courtesy of the impressive researching skills of Jessica, the 80s baby. So Jeffrey started out on Vine. Do you remember Vine, Katie? Barely. I remember it was like really short clips, six second clips. Was that right? Yeah, it was yeah. like six seconds. I, I had it briefly in high school. Uh, it, it was the original short form video platform. It full went out of business in 2017, his vines tended to be extremely positive, anti-bullying messages, kind of like a one-man or one-they, it-gets-better project. (laughs) (laughs) So Vine is long gone now, but Marsh lives on. He's big on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. TikTok's definitely the biggest platform where he makes a lot of inspirational, relentlessly positive content, or at least that's what he's going for. He's also written several books with titles like How to Be You, Stop Trying to Be Someone Else, and Start Living Your Life, and Take Your Own Advice, Learn to Trust Your Inner Voice, and Start Helping Yourself. This is exactly the person I want to take life advice from. Right. And he, I don't believe he actually has any qualifications or training. That's why he calls himself a life coach rather than like <laughs> a therapist or anything, yeah. because I think you can get away with that legally. Yeah. Uh, But Marsh is also a Buddhist. Uh, He lives in California with his long-term partner, who is also named Jeff. That's just kind of- Okay, you can't- That is just the gayest thing possible. You cannot be (laughs) non-binary if you were in a relationship with two Jeffs. No, that's their truth, Katie. That's their truth. (laughs) So he claims to have been the first non-binary person on national TV, Mm -hmm. though I don't know how he could know that because you can never assume someone's internal sense of gender- Um, And he once uttered the immortal line, I'm non-binary. I don't menstruate. (laughs) Does he think that the reason he doesn't menstruate is because he has they, them pronouns? If he just switched to she, her, then all of a sudden the blood would start flowing? I'm not sure, but I have encountered trans women who believe that they have periods, even though they don't have a uterus to have its lining (laughs) be shed. Um, so <laughs> they have periods of the brain. Well, maybe it's like a hormonal fluctuation or something, it's but not. it's not, maybe it's just it's in their head. Nothing, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, there's actually, you know, and that's not even like totally invalid. There's a huge connection between the psyche and your physical health. True. Um, yeah, but, they have psychosomatic periods, but it's not an actual period. Just like when a man gets a psychosomatic pregnancy, he's not pregnant. He's not in fact <laughs> pregnant. But that is a thing. Unless he's actually a female, in which case he is. All right. Pregnant. Now I'm, I have a headache. Um, <laughs> it's your period. So <laughs> his content tends to be aimed at young LGBTQ types, though it's actually not apparent that that's his actual audience. Um, but it's pretty inane surface level stuff, all about loving yourself the way you are, accepting yourself, increasing your self-esteem, and so on. I had already watched a fair bit of his content, but I sat through quite a few additional Jeffrey Marsh videos in preparing this segment, and honestly, it it was not a pleasant experience for me. Now, Marsh has had his fair share of criticism over the years, some of which has been genuinely cruel, especially since becoming a TikTok star. So you can find video after video of right-wing commentators like Matt Walsh reacting to and pretty savagely and cruelly criticizing Jeffrey. 
I have also discussed Jeffrey's content on my YouTube channel, though I do it more in a why I disagree with this point way and less in a you're a disgusting freak way Mm -hmm. that the conservative media often treats him. Oh, and I'll just throw this in there. Your personal fave, Ollie London, has been all over Jeffrey Marsh. Okay, give people just like the 30-second backstory on who the fuck Holly London is. Holly London was an influencer who came out of the closet as trans-Korean, trans-race. So like the- And a trans woman. Oh, I didn't even know that. But but, um, Holly got surgery to look more Asian. And it was a huge thing about how crazy this woke person is. Holly has now pivoted to being ex-trans and like anti-woke and is now partnered up with Caitlyn Jenner, not in a romantic way, uh, but in like a fighting the woke stuff. And to me, it's like if five minutes ago you didn't know what race you were, maybe you should sit back from the debate for a few minutes until you figure out what you've got going on. But instead, because they always do this, anytime somebody uh, leaves the left Right-wing media immediately embraces them, even if they're not actually particularly thoughtful or insightful, just to kind of own the libs. So that's why Ollie London has blown up. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Ollie London made this pivot tells me that something like Ollie London doesn't seem to have any actual values and just goes where the wind blows. And that tells me that the cultural winds have shifted and it was more profitable to be a anti-woke uh, turf, basically, although he's definitely not a radical feminist, than it was to lean into this identity politics that he was doing for a while. Because obviously, like, who the fuck is going to, like, the left isn't going to embrace the dude who comes out as transracial. That is way too transgressive, <laughs> even if he's also a trans woman. But they can't really explain why, no, though. they can't explain why. It's different. It's just different, Brad. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Ali London was on the Jeffrey Hate train. And unfortunately, in April of 2022, Jeffrey Marsh told Rolling Stone, that he had received death threats for his uplifting messages, uh, in his view at least. And of course, you never want to see that. Don't support that. In August of the same year, a gender-critical feminist YouTube channel made a three-part video series accusing Marsh of being creepy. And whenever people are criticizing Marsh, one word comes up over and over and over again. Katie, can you guess what the word is? Groomer. Groomer. Yeah, of course. Now, there are a couple reasons behind this accusation that go further than just the general like unfortunate trend of people throwing that word around like candy on Halloween these days. First, Marsh makes a lot of videos giving advice directly in the second person to LGBTQ teens, often beginning with, hi, kids, which is, of course, just exactly how teens love to be addressed. He should say, hi, brah. That's what they want. <laughs> um, he often also criticizes parents, telling teens that their parents haven't done a good job, which, how, how do you know? <laughs> and then casually encouraging them to go no contact, uh, which is you know to cut them out of their life and be independent, uh, which maybe is geared towards more young adults who have emerged from toxic families, but it's not entirely clear. What? Like, like, even if your family doesn't respect your fucking pronouns, the way to get the, them to come around is probably not to just cut them out of your life. All that do is, all that does is cause pain for people, people who presumably you love. I just, this seems like really fucking bad advice to me. 
I agree. Uh, the one thing you can say for Jeffrey is that he practices what he preaches. So he went uh, no contact with his parents and siblings years ago and regularly tells his followers what a great idea that was. Yeah. And then he's like, you're my family now. This is bizarre. I'm sorry, but those relation the relationships you have with your listeners cannot or your viewers cannot unfortunately replace relationships that you have with friends and family. Or if they could, I would be much happier. Yeah, it's actually kind of sad. Um, but so the second reason that Marsh is called a groomer is that his critics say that he often encourages minors to contact him directly, allegedly without their parents' knowledge. And this is the key accusation about the heart of this story about a conflict between a female Muslim comedian and a non-binary they-them TikTok activist, which is where that comedian, Shumaran Nessa, comes in, who we'll just call Nessa. Uh, Nessa is a British Muslim influencer. She's a young hijabi who primarily makes comedy videos, often shitting on men, <laughs> which is is entertaining, but is actually a whole nother kind of discourse we could unpack sometime. Um, uh, the gender discussion on TikTok is incredibly toxic. But she does turn her attention to more serious matters sometimes, too. I mean, especially recently, she's become very outspoken about her support for Palestine. But the content that made her TikTok famous was very much like lighthearted, comedic, and satirical stuff. Now, interestingly, Jeffrey March is smaller on TikTok, but probably bigger and more relevant in the real world, right? Having been on TV, have all these media profiles. But Nessa is actually far bigger on TikTok. Marsh has around 689,000 followers, while Nessa has 7.5 million. Damn. I know. She's killing it. So good for her. But take a look at their two accounts and you'll see a big difference. Marsh was born in 1977. He mostly makes videos of himself talking or, God forbid, on some occasions singing <laughs> directly to the camera. Now, Nessa was born in 1989. She's a lot younger. She produces much more Gen Z friendly content, very short videos, jump cuts, lip syncs, lots of the instantly recognizable TikTok style of humor and trends. So maybe that's why she's more successful. Let's watch a quick clip of her content here. I want to be where the people are. No, I don't. No, I don't. No, no, I don't. That's one of her older videos because she's pivoted, like I said, to Palestine content. Um, but that'll give you a taste of, of how she got big on the platform. So anyway, as far as I'm aware, these two people had never interacted until one day, Nessa decided to call out Jeffrey for, in her view, being inappropriate towards kids. Now, this isn't just out of nowhere. Nessa is a children's nurse and a mother of two. So she has a particular interest in kids and keeping them safe. And in February of 2023, so about a year ago today, she posted several videos calling Marsh out. Here's the one I remember seeing at the time. Stop telling trans people that we're inspirational. Stop telling kids to go on your Patreon and chat to you privately without their parents knowing. <laughs> so Katie, your thoughts on that video? <laughs> So it, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. I don't know if we can actually because I broke If we can, if we can link this, but the video is funny because she's like absolutely mimicking his facial expressions, which doesn't really translate to audio. Um, but I think I think her point is a valid one. Yeah, definitely, and we'll get into all of that. So. 
This ignited perhaps the greatest intersectional shitstorm in TikTok's history. Her comment section was flooded with a mixture of support and hate, and too many creators to even count stitched her video. Katie, boomer test. Do you know what a stitch is? I, I, okay. I know it's when you take a video and like repost it and put your own. What you just saw was a stitch. Okay. All right. So can you explain to people? It's just like a, explain it to people. It's basically like you play the first few seconds of someone's video and then add your own thoughts on and comment on it. So it's a response video. It's a response video. It's a specific form of, uh, and then that video is attached to the original video within TikTok. So it's easy for people to go click and see the full original. So that's a stitch. And so a bunch of people stitched her and either praised her, and especially Muslim people were speaking out on defending her, and then a bunch of like white they-thems and trans people were attacking her and calling her transphobic. So at first, Nessa doubled down. She responded to her critics, who argued a couple defenses of Jeffrey's Patreon, which she accused him of telling kids to talk to him privately on. They said that it was 18 plus and required a credit card. I did check this out. And if you want to create a Patreon account, according to Patreon's uh, website, you do need to be at least 13. So that's that's the age of reason. That's (laughs) (laughs) But if you want to join a creator's membership as a patron, which is what we're talking about here, you must be at least 18 years old or have permission from a parent or guardian. So you can be a minor technically with permission from a parent or guardian. Katie, do you do you think that's it? Is that case closed? Yeah, totally case closed. How do how do they like get the parents permission? Is it just a, a checkbox? I super super swear that mom said I could do this. So personally, I, I, I'm assuming it's something like that because I don't know what they could really do. Uh, but right. I personally just know that as a 13-year-old, I regularly took my parents' credit card out of their wallet, checked a box, <laughs> and signed up for stuff that said you had to be 18. I did that all the time. <laughs> and that's essentially the argument that Nessa makes in one of her follow-up videos. We'll roll that here. So for the people who are saying that kids cannot buy things off of Patreon because they don't have a card and all this stuff, okay. Kids play games like Fortnite, Roblox, Minecraft. Do you know what you can do on those games? You can buy things like weapons, helmets, armor, boots. The kids are obviously using real money. So where are they getting the money from? Also, you know you can save bank details on your phone. So if someone wants to purchase something, the bank details automatically pop up. You know that, right? Now the second point. This is a person who replied to Jeffrey Marsh. I'm a sex offender specialist and I've worked with predators over 20 years. This is what child grooming looks like. Just thought I'd let you guys know. This isn't me saying it. I mean, what do I know? I'm only a mother of two and a children's nurse. I mean, I've only done so many night shifts and read up so many stories about how children... uh, I don't want to go into the details of what kids have gone through. Now, the third point I want to make. This is the information you get after you sign up to their Patreon. So here's something fun to try. Have a nice and safe childhood now, today. What is that supposed to mean for an adult? I mean, you guys are saying that their content is for adults, right? So how can an adult have a nice and safe childhood now, today? Please, can you explain that to me? And the fourth and most important point I want to make. So we all know Jeffrey Marsh has a website and they have a frequently asked questions on their website. Let's go and check that out, shall we? Do you work with young people? I have rarely done this kind of coaching with people 12 and over only, but I always recommend that the parents, guardians, and I meet for coaching as a first step. You can ask about this in an email to me. 
So what happens to those sessions when the parents or guardians are not there and they are 12 plus year olds? This isn't me saying it. This is Jeffrey Marsh's website saying it. And to all of those people who are shouting at the top of their lungs on their videos, just because your voice is louder doesn't mean you're right. I said it before and I'll say it again. To all those people, if Jeffrey Marsh was a straight man, would you be defending them? That's my only question. So to all those people who are defending Jeffrey Marsh, if you guys have the courage and the potatoes, I don't curse, please stitch that question section and answer me back. So Katie, so far, what do you think of these accusations being made against Jeffrey Marsh? I Do you find them credible? Well, I do find it, he seems to be very explicitly saying, I mean, he says this, like your parents fucked up. Of course, he has no idea who he's actually talking to. And he invites kids to speak to him unless like by hey kids he means like hey 19 year olds which it's i don't know it, it seems like he's talking to literal children uh and he's invite and it seems like he's inviting people to come chat with him privately which i f i find creepy is it groomer behavior i don't think it's inherently groomer behavior for an adult to want to well god that sounds very strange it sounds like you're right <laughs> i don't know say that again maybe it is inherently creepy i don't know i mean i do like i wanna i wanna give him the benefit of the doubt for some reason because i i do know of adults who like had shitty childhoods because their parents were homophobic and they don't want other kids to have to go through that and so they're genuinely trying to be supportive but there's a reason, like there should be guardrails in place and it doesn't seem like he has any guardrails. Yeah, I'll say this. It's inappropriate for it's sure. It's inappropriate, yeah. What has been highlighted is in my view, wildly inappropriate. And it's also, it's just like this thing of, no, Jeffrey never talks to kids is not super credible. I mean, if he were like a credentialed therapist. Which he is not. <laughs> and not that therapists, right. Not that therapists can also do a lot of damage to people. They for sure can. I think specifically a gender therapist. But if he had some sort of credentials and parents were making appointments for their kids to chat with him, I think that would be totally different. He's a fucking influencer and a fake life coach who's asking kids to reach out to him. I mean, is that like, that's what's happening, right? Yeah. And it's inappropriate to say the least. It's inappropriate. Is it grooming really depends on your definition of grooming. And we'll get into that. Right. Um, right. But it got, it, it, it escalated after she called him out like this. He did not take well to it and neither did his army of Somewhat small but very loyal fan base. He has. Do they, does he call them the Martians? No, uh, you know that's actually a good idea. Yeah. So Marsh's fans started to dogpile on Nessa and really attack her, and it started with just mean comments online, and then people were posting photos of her without her hijab on the internet from before she wore one to humiliate her, and then it allegedly escalated to real world bullying and intimidation. Let's roll her clip of her tearful video about what happened to her. So I just got an email saying, um, pretty much a threat saying, I know they know where I live. And what scares me the most is, um, they have got my daughter's details on the email, like what time I leave to drop them to school, pick them up. And it's not a coincidence because both of my daughters, they go to two different schools, so they know. They've given the school details and everything. So um, 
yeah, my, my daughters are involved now in this. As some of you might know that my car was damaged in this whole thing. Um, I was getting not very nice videos and now emails with a lot of details on that email. So I don't, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to do anything. I'm not going to talk about Jeffrey Marsh. I've deleted everything, removed it. If you guys want to go ahead, go ahead, but please don't do, don't, don't come to my house. Do you just get on with your life? I'll get on with mine. <laughs> you guys want me to say I'm sorry? Fine, I'm sorry. Please don't come at me. Don't come to my house. Don't don't do anything with me because I'm just one person, one person, and specifically four or five of you have uh, four or five of you have kind of done stuff. Like some of you have found old pictures of me <laughs> and uploaded it on TikTok without my hijab. So you guys have done that. I know you guys are gonna, you guys are gonna take the Mickey out of this video. So, but my main thing is please don't, don't continue this. I'm sorry. Please don't come for my kids. So, Katie, do you find uh, Nessa's story credible? Yeah, more or less. I mean, she says that four or five people have been harassing her. That doesn't seem like an extraordinary amount. And people, of course, lie about harassment online all the time. But with the number of followers that she has, the number of followers that he has, it's like libs of TikTok. When you have millions of people watching any sort of content, there's going to be a couple crazies in there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I find it pretty credible. What about you? I no, I'm not it, just saying that because she's my my sister in Islam. Yeah, I found it incredibly credible. And yeah. maybe I'm a little bit gullible, but like watching her, that does not look like fake tears to me. No, I see a lot no. of fake tears on TikTok. Yeah. I see a lot of fake <laughs> tears on TikTok. I, people have fake voices in their heads on TikTok, <laughs> fake personalities, fake autism. Yeah, no, I mean, she's, so, she definitely seems genuinely upset. She seems really shaken up and scared. And I think maybe the keying of her car could somehow be a coincidence. Maybe oh, someone's. Totally. Of course it could be, yeah. But I believe her that she has emails of people from her people about her kids that have stalked her. And I, I can't prove it's true, but I believe it. We believe women on this podcast, especially women of color. <laughs> Um, but so for what it's worth, after Nessa's apology video, Marsh made his own video thanking his fans for being good trans allies. <laughs> you are such good allies. You keep the Muslim woman's car. Thank you, kids. <laughs> well, he didn't say that. He didn't mention her directly. But he also, as far as I could find, never spoke out and said, stop bullying her. Which he is an anti-bullying advocate. Very much like Chaya Rajek. Right, right. Um, and to me, it does seem that Nessa, a, a Muslim woman, was bullied out of speaking out uh, by mm -hmm. supposedly very left-wing online activists. Her videos remain all remain deleted. And as far as I'm aware, she's never spoken out about Jeffrey Marsh again, even though he continues to do the same style of content. Okay, so that to me also makes it more credible because and this is one thing that Libs of TikTok does all the time. Like someone will threaten her and I, I have no doubt she gets a lot of threats. She posts them. We can see them. 
And then she'll like tag the FBI, like at FBI, track this fucker down or whatever. That's not how it works. When you get like if you talk to anybody who works in, in law enforcement, they will tell you if you are getting credible threats, you save them, you pass them on to your caseworker, whoever, whatever contact you have. And then you don't fucking talk about it. That makes it worse. Yeah, it makes it so much worse to talk about it. We did this episode or two episodes on this guy, Patrick Tomlinson, who is getting, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's been getting, yeah, the Kiwi Farms, or not the Kiwi Farms, the Opie and Anthony guys. Patrick has been doxxed, threatened, swatted dozens of times <laughs> over the years. And he continues to fucking tweet about it incessantly. And it makes it so much worse. The same people came after me. Patrick's fucking stalkers came after me. I didn't talk about it. And it stopped because what they want is attention. And when you don't give them attention, they stop. Yeah, I've, I've made that mistake. It is tempting. I've made that mistake yeah. in the past. It's totally tempting. It's totally tempting. But if what you really want is for the harassment to stop, you don't talk about it. If what you want is for it to continue so that you can get the attention and milk it for subscribers, then mm -hmm. you post it. So for me, there's a couple broader interesting issues that, that come out of this story. So Nessa, in my view, raised a, a very valid concern about an online celebrity's actions towards kids. And while the facts are a little complicated, it, it was a reasonable enough concern to raise in my view, yet she was essentially chased out of the conversation with threats to her children. Mm -hmm. I don't know, call me crazy, but like, that's not, in fact, how a healthy discourse should function. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, the, the allegation of grooming has taken on ridiculous proportions. I think you and I probably both feel the same way. Like the fact that someone is a homosexual does not make them inherently a groomer. The fact that you're a gay teacher doesn't make you necessarily a groomer. But Jeffrey Marsh, I, this... I mean, it, if he were grooming, it would. Ha I think it would... Like, there has to be an end goal, right? Does that make sense? Like you groom children into doing something and there haven't been any allegations that he's actually abused children yeah. as far as I'm aware. And I want to be extremely clear about this. There have been no cases I can find of kids coming out and saying that they had inappropriate contact with Marsh. And you better believe that if any kid anywhere was saying that, it would be all over the internet by now. Yeah. He has never been directly accused of harming or abusing any child, let alone charged with any crime, as far as we mm -hmm. could find. He's just a fucking weirdo. Yeah, he's a creep in my book, <laughs> but there's a extremely large gap between being a creep and somebody who hurts children. And and Do you think you would react to Jeffrey differently if he were a woman? I actually think the the more interesting question is how would people react to Jeffrey if he was a straight cis man? Oh, it would be so much worse. All these people would say that Jeffrey, all, uh, many of the people who yeah. are defending Jeffrey would be saying that he was a predator. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's like somewhere yeah. in the middle of like, if he were a woman, it'd be like, okay, that's probably fine. If you were, he's in the middle, he's non-binary. Yeah. <laughs> but also like, maybe I'm, and maybe I'm getting ahead of my excuse of this. Is it that unreasonable to say that if he was a woman, it would be less concerning because aren't women much less likely to abuse kids? Yes. It would like we're profiling here, but and I don't have any statistics on non-binary uh victimization of children. But yes, no, I think it would be less concerning because women are less likely to rape children. Yeah. I mean, it's the same way that like people are and I I do think like you see this, you see conservatives 
tweet shit like this. Like, I would never let my kids have a male babysitter. I think that's that's like way too far. I've, I had male babysitters when I was a kid and I loved them. Um, did you what do you think about that? Male I, babysitters? So I would hate I hate anything where you're taking general collective statistics yeah. and punishing yeah. or blaming an individual for it. Like. Yeah. It is true that men are more likely to to commit violent crimes, but like that that, that doesn't mean any individual man is and he I, I hate like collective guilt. So, but at the same time if you're playing a statistics game to keep your kids safe, I'm not going to say you're evil. Like I don't know. That's com- that stuff gets complicated and murky really quick. Yeah. I, the, the thing I saw most recently was some woman on, I don't know if she's an influencer, but this video got a lot of play saying like, I would never let my, I never let my kids go to sleepovers. And here's why it's because sexual abuse is most likely to happen with somebody now, blah, blah, blah. I think she's a lawyer actually. Um, but to me, it's like, you can you can get so paranoid by statistics that you're limiting your experience or your kids' experience, and I, like that's not a healthy way to live either. Sleepovers are that's a, I think that's an important part of childhood development. You learn social skills, you learn how to act in people's other people's homes. It's fun, uh, so I think people can also tend to get paranoid. Uh, it's odd the world is a safer place than it used to be, but people seem more paranoid than ever, and I think that's probably a direct result of social media and also the media covering rare instances is yeah. they're, they're common. And anything in life is about trade-offs and risk trade-offs. You are much less likely to get hit by a car if you never leave your house, right? But, Which is why but I never leave my house. Then you're going to miss out on a lot in life. Not that much. I also, like, I also am a homebody and an introvert. So like for me, also worth it. But I'm just saying these are calculations we make all the time. So back to uh, our, our pal Jeffrey and Nessa. So... I have mixed feelings on this because on one hand, Jeffrey has been a real punching bag of people throwing around uh, accusations that aren't substantiated and people attacking and mocking him in, in incredibly cruel and aggressive ways. But on the other hand, I can't help but feel like a lot of the ire against Jeffrey Marsh is deserved, right? Like he is creepy. He does do inappropriate things. Yeah. I wish there was a way to make fun of people without it resulting in that person getting harassed. You know, and maybe there is. Maybe you do it on your podcast rather than on, you know, on Twitter, on these like more shareable platforms. Yeah. So the question at the heart of this all remains is Jeffrey Marsh a groomer? There simply is not sufficient evidence to conclude that Marsh is either a child predator or a groomer in the traditional sense of somebody who is working to abuse kids and get their guard down. Well, that's exactly the, the problem is that because of people like Chaya Rychik and people like James Lindsay, the term groomer, which used to mean a very specific thing, has been the, – the concept has been expanded to mean uh, – to include ideological grooming, to include all of this stuff that doesn't fit the definition of molesting a child – but when you call someone a groomer, that's the first thing people think. They don't think like, oh, they're grooming children to be liberal. They're grooming children to come out as gay. What people think is grooming children to molest them. 
words change. We all have to sort of accept that, that definitions shift. But this is also coming from a lot of the same people who absolutely decry the expansion of terms like racism or white supremacy or terms like women to include trans people and who are, have bastardized this term to the point of meaningless. And, and, and this accusing people of grooming is basically accusing them of pedophilia. I think it's, yeah, it's a very damning, a fucked up thing to call somebody unless you have actual evidence that they have harmed children. And it doesn't seem like... But they do this kind of Mott and Bailey thing where they call someone a groomer and then they retreat to, well, we're talking about ideological grooming. Yeah. And it's like, can't you come up with a different term that doesn't invoke also right. sex crimes? That's the problem, right? Right, right. Um, yeah. And I, I listened to your interview with Gays Against Groomers, which I really enjoyed. And you asked her about this. And what did she say? I can't remember. She basically said, well, when we accuse people of grooming, we mean we include ideological grooming. And so that's what we mean by grooming. And I'm like, okay. Okay, I also don't think people should be like talking to kindergartners about non-binary, but why are we lumping that in with actual people grooming someone to then sexually abuse them? Like that it, these are kind of to me stratospheres apart yeah. in both kind and degree. And right. so like they're they're redefining this term, um, but so I guess the only conclusion I can make about this question is that Jeffrey Marsh is not proven whatsoever to be a groomer in the traditional sense of the word. However, if you accept this new definition in like grooming is encouraging kids to question their gender identity or talking to them about ideas they're not ready for, I think it undisputably would meet a groomer under that definition. The fundamental question is whether you accept that redefinition. And I'm deeply skeptical of that effort, as I know you uh, and Jesse are as well. So, yeah, I, I reject that. I reject the new definition. And another reason to reject this definition is because the, the term, it, it loses, the term itself loses power. And so, like the term Nazi, if it starts to include like all right wingers, then if you call somebody a Nazi, it's it, like it doesn't have any power. And we should want these terms to actually have power when applied to the to the people who are actually doing bad things like harming children or putting Jews in ovens. Yeah, he's not the only one getting accused of this stuff. And to me, the groomer discourse is just a great example of how the two sides are increasingly talking past each other. We increasingly lack even a shared vocabulary. And I'm really concerned about where it's going. Okay, solution. Jeffrey, my brother, it is... T I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have used that term. Jeffrey, my friend... <laughs> It is time to convert to Islam. There you go. You just solved TikTok's biggest <laughs> intersectional cat fight of 2023. First TikTok, next the Middle East. All right. Thank you, Brad, so much. Where can people find you? Uh, I host my own podcast called Damage Control, where I take on LGBT issues from a center-right perspective of a gay man. I also create content on YouTube uh, and write articles at various places. The best way to keep up with all that is over on Twitter. No, I'm not calling it X. Just search my name, Brad Palumbo, on any of these platforms. And uh, I hope more Bar Pod people will check out my stuff. And thanks so much for having me. Uh, my boyfriend is totally going to geek out when he hears this episode. We'll tell your boyfriend I said hi. I will. You know what? He actually, we talk about who he would like to meet. And he said one of, that you're one of the only podcasters he'd actually like to meet because meeting you wouldn't stress him out the way it would <laughs> the other podcasters. So that's a pretty good compliment. That is good. I'm a non-stressful podcaster to me. All right. Thanks so much, Brad. This has been Blocked and Reported. Our show is produced, as always, with help from Tracing Woodgrains and Jessica, the 80s baby. 
I'm Katie Herzog, and we will be back next week with a new guest host.